Well, good morning, church family. How are we all doing? Doing good? We just sang the words, I open up my heart to you. Jesus, have your way in me now and do what only you can. I open up my heart to you. Jesus, have your way in me now. I pray that those aren't just words that we sing, but that's the posture of our heart this morning. I have a word, you know, I, every week I press in, I pray, I read the word, and I, and I have a sermon prepared, and it's always uh, after much effort. But sometimes the word, I believe, is, is especially from the Lord, and this is, this is an instance like that. By Thursday afternoon, I was done. I had my sermon done, buttoned up. I was, I was ready to go. I was going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, I was all set. And then I started reading a little devotional thing, and I went on, a, and I felt like the Lord saying, I'm going to change the sermon. And I right away was like, Lord, it's Thursday afternoon. Come on, we're, we're good here. But I felt like, nope, we're going to go a different way. So Friday, I redid my whole sermon. So I believe, especially this morning, that the Lord has a word for us. Um, Last week, we talked about the rich young ruler, and we talked about what it looks like to have an encounter with Jesus, to rightfully understand who Jesus is, and to rightfully understand what he demands of us, and then to walk away. We said that the story of the rich young ruler is is one of the saddest stories in the New Testament. It's one of the only instances in the New Testament where Scripture says somebody encountered Jesus, and they walked away sad. A lot of times people encounter Jesus and they walk away joyful, they walk away set free, but this young man walked away sad. And I thought that what if we could contrast that? I thought what if, what if we could imagine that the rich young ruler, rather than walking away, had committed himself to Christ, had decided to walk with Jesus instead of walking away. Because sadly, this is the last we hear of the rich young ruler in Scripture. We don't hear anything else about him from the Bible, but we sort of know how that story ends, don't we? I mean, we can look around all day and see people who have every talent, every opportunity, all kind of money, all kind of, you know, everything afforded to them, every every blessing, every every, uh, open door, and yet they still, for some reason, blow it all up. Their life still becomes chaos, becomes unmanageable. And so we know how that story ends because people often make the mistake of making important things ultimate things. Of taking things that are inherently good, family, resources, jobs, and making those ultimate things, making those idols, which is what the rich young ruler did. So I want us to move from a story of a young man who walked away from Jesus and look instead at at what it would look like to walk with Jesus. Maybe you're here and in your past you denied Jesus with a life choice. Maybe you walked away from him or you walked away from church. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you believe who Jesus is, but you don't really trust Jesus to give your life to because there is a difference between believing who Jesus is of saying, I believe Jesus is the Savior, he's the Son of God, and to say, I trust him 
with my life. I'm going to put my life into his hands and his care. Those are different things. So regardless of your yesterday, what about now? How will your story and my story end? Will people ultimately say of me, Brian encountered Jesus and then he walked away sad because he chose X, Y, or Z? Or will people say, Brian was a guy who walked with Jesus all the days of his life? Yesterday is gone. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just follow. The title of the message this morning is Just Follow. And we're going to look at somebody who encountered Jesus and eventually, ultimately, surrendered fully. But not without his failures and not without his struggles. Because it's messy when humans follow Jesus, amen? Amen. Things get messy. Things don't look neat and clean and perfect and organized. They're often chaotic and fearful. We can see in the life of Peter what it looks like to follow Jesus. Peter was the chief knucklehead, but he loved Jesus, didn't he? So, Father, we just come before you now, and we ask that you do what only you can do, change hearts, minds, and spirits in this place by your power, by your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to highlight parts of Peter's life from John's gospel And so we're going to set the stage. We're going to read in John 6, verse 63. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to kind of take glimpses. We're going to take little little points in Peter's life, and we're we're going to draw some truth out from those. So to set the stage, we have the encounter here where people are walking away from Jesus. Jesus is teaching about spiritual truth, about spiritual reality. And people, they either don't understand it or they don't like it. And so rather than... Be open rather than seek to understand that which they don't, they walk away. That's what's happening here. Jesus is saying some things, people don't get it, and so they walk away. John 6, verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Jesus is going, look, you guys don't understand this because it's spiritual. Because we're talking about life-giving spiritual truth And you guys just see what's in front of you. You don't get it. And Jesus is trying to encourage them there to press in. Verse 64. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. But Jesus had known from the beginning which of them didn't believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And then verse 66 says this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many turned back and no longer followed him. That means a good majority of the people that were following Jesus decided not to, no longer. They went away. So Jesus' church just shrank. And if you you read the Gospels, you'll find out that when Jesus says something and the church shrinks, Jesus says something that'll cause it to shrink more. Because he's not interested in crowds, he's interested in converts. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
So the first point I want to make is that like the rich young ruler, Peter knows rightly who Jesus is. Peter understands fully who Jesus is, his identity and his mission. We're going to soon find out that that's not enough. And you could be here right now and you can say, I know who Jesus is. But Jesus is asking you to walk in that truth. To say, if that's true, then what does it look like in your life? I read a quote the other day and it says, you will never benefit from an anointing you dishonor privately. You will never benefit from an anointing you dishonor privately. In other words, God has a special plan, special purpose, special gifting for you. Not just for me, not just for the leaders. If you're a Christian, that means you're in ministry. That means God has gifted you. That means you have a special anointing. You have the spirit of God upon you. And if you don't walk in that, if you dishonor that privately, you're not gonna gain the benefit. You're not gonna be walking in the spirit. You're gonna continue to either battle one foot in, one foot out, or you'll fall away completely. So Peter knows, but Peter's not quite as committed as he thinks he is. Because here's the truth, church. Our words need to line up with our walks. We can say all kind of stuff all day long. Say this, say that. I'll, I'll never forget my wife. I pick on her. But I remember, you know, in a time when, you know, things were rough, and, and I remember saying to her once, I love you, and I remember she, without missing a beat, she just said, show me. Show me. That's what, Peter, that's what Jesus is saying right here to Peter. That's what he's going to say. Show me, Peter. Because it's easy to say that. I love you. I love you, God. You're first in my life. It's easy to say that. We use words all the time. And what Peter's going to say, what Jesus is going to say rather to Peter is, show me, Peter. John 13, verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Because sometimes when we're talking to Jesus, you know, we get ahead of ourselves. And we think we're ready to go to that next place, right? Jesus, I don't know if you know, but I'm in training. I'm ready to go. Send me now. And Jesus is going, whoa. I love you. I laid out my life for you. And Jesus is going, Peter, Peter, hold on a minute. Would you really, Peter? Because I know that's the right thing to say. And I know in churches, sometimes we say the thing that's expected of us, right? But Jesus is stopping them. Jesus isn't happy with just words. Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. See, Jesus has given Peter a reality check. Jesus is saying, Peter, these are your words, but this is your walk in there. But the reason he's doing that is not to make Peter feel bad. It's because he has work for Peter to do. See, when God breaks us, it's only to heal us. When God meets us in, the, in that place of chaos and he speaks that truth to us and we feel that conviction, people ask me all the time, Pastor Brian, I feel, you know, I feel conviction in my pasture. I'll feel, you know, how do I know it's the enemy or if it's, if it's the Lord? And I'll say, well, what is the conviction leading you to? Is it repentance that's leading to, right, to life? 
Or is it you just, because if you feel as a result of, I look at my past, I feel shame, I feel guilt. Well, that's the enemy, because he wants you to live in shame and guilt. If you look at it and it's a lesson, and you say, I don't ever want to be the same again, I don't ever want to go back to where Jesus has set me free from, then that's the Lord. That's a lesson. So see, Peter denies Jesus, and we might say, well, I would never do that. I would never deny Jesus, but we do, don't we? We do with our words, and we do with our deeds. John 18, verse 15, so Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door, because see, Peter wants to be around Jesus, but he's kind of hedging in his bets. Kind of one foot in, one foot out. He's still following Jesus, but from a distance. Some of you are here, sitting here right now in this room, and you're following Jesus, but from a distance. You don't want to get too close. You know there's something. You know who Jesus is. You know there's something drawing you in, but you're afraid. You're hesitant. You're stuck in your past. Instead of listening to, to 2 Corinthians you're a new creation. You're a child of God. You were created in his image. He's got a plan for life. Instead of that, you listen to the past. Oh, I'm never going to be like my neighbor. I'm never going to be like this person. I'm never, I'm not, you know, and the enemy's got lies to you. Telling you who you are. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciple, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers have made a fire because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. So Peter was also with them, standing and warming themselves. And further down in verse 25, Jesus is being mocked. He's being questioned by this kangaroo court they threw together at night. They're doing it privately. Totally inappropriate situation. And Peter's standing outside the door and he's witnessing this. And what does he do? Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are also one of his disciples, aren't you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear he had cut off. That's a fortunate circumstance, huh? No, wait a minute, it's definitely you. You cut my cousin's ear off, you know, remember? I know it's you. So did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And a rooster crowed. Jesus is being tried by the court of the high priest and Peter's standing outside, choosing to warm himself by the fire, not getting too close. Three times he was recognized. Three times he has to make a bold stand for his Lord, and three times he doesn't do it. Instead, he denies that he knows him. And the rooster crowed, and Scripture says that he wept bitterly. He must have felt like such a failure. Anybody else can relate? I mean, I can relate. If we're honest, we find ourselves where Peter is. You're here in this room. Where are those areas in your life where you've denied Peter with your word or with your walk, with your actions? Where you denied Jesus, rather? Where you, like Peter, chose to walk away. And because of that, you're failing like Peter right now, here in this place. It says he wept bitterly, he felt like a failure. 
His story could have ended there because that's where the rich young ruler's story ended, right? He went away sad, and that's how it ended. And Peter's story could have just been like, that was it. He wept bitterly. He failed. He had a chance, and he failed. But Peter's story doesn't end there. And if you're sitting here in this room, your story doesn't end there either. See, we've got to get back to the business of following him. Just follow. What, is, what have we placed above our relationship with Christ? What is it? Because I've said a few weeks ago I preached and I, I made this statement that everybody worships. You can't get away from it. If you're a human being, it's in your nature. Everybody worships. The question is, what do you worship? And if it's not Jesus, it's something else, and that something else will destroy you slowly or quickly, but it'll destroy you nonetheless. We see it all the time. John 6, 29. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Ready? Jesus is saying, this is the work. This is what you're to do. This is the one thing. And then he says, believe in the one he has sent. And that doesn't just mean to believe the truth that Jesus is the one who he, who is sent, but it means believe in him, trust in him, give your life to him, walk with him, pursue him, obey him. That's our job, church. Trust him with our daily life, moment-by-moment moment choices. When life doesn't look like we think it should look, when we're afraid, when we're uncertain, when we look around and things are chaotic, when it seems like God's not there, and if he is there, it certainly doesn't seem like he's in control. What then? And maybe you're here right now in this room, in that place. You don't know how it happened, or you don't know how it happened again. Well, you're broken. In John 20, verse 19, we see the disciples locked away. It says, on the evening of that first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they went from this place where Jesus is going to come and he's going to be this conquering king. And they're like, this is going to be great. Jesus is going to rescue me from my circumstance, from my situation, because that's what we hope for. And that's okay. We can encounter Jesus in the midst of a situation and say, God, meet me here. Change it. Do what you do. Sometimes he changes it, but he always changes us. But we can do that, right? We can say, Lord, I trust you. And so here are the disciples, and, and all they were thinking of is this conquering king is going to get them free from Roman rule, that their lives are going to get easier and better. And now they look around, and this was not the plan. They had gone after Jesus, and now they're certainly going to go after the disciples. So they're in a room, and the door's locked because they're afraid. That's their context. That's their reality in this moment. And we, it's so easy to remove the humanness of Scripture, to read them as stories. But imagine that. To just be afraid, to be locked in a room. What next? What now? What now? 
It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, they showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus stands in the midst of our situation, no matter how chaotic and fearful and uncertain it is, and he guarantees us peace that surpasses understanding. Twice, Jesus offered them the very thing they were searching for, which was his peace. And Jesus stands here now, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what you think your future is going to look like, and he says, peace be with you. That's not the end of the story. He gives us his presence and his peace. He gives us the power of his Holy Spirit, and then he sends us. He sends us. We're going to see, because when Jesus says, if you love me, it's it's like, if you love me, do this. He stands in the middle of our fear and chaos and offers us peace in him. See, Peter's life was a life filled with ups and downs. And wherever you are today, God is ready to restore you. He stands on the shore with open arms waiting to meet you. And oftentimes where we expect a rebuke, he offers his unconditional love. Love that leads to restoration. Love that leads to a preparation to mission. This is the gospel, right? We deserve punishment. We get grace, a new life and a call to be used of him. No matter how horrible your past may be, Jesus stands not only ready to forgive you, but to restore you and to use you for his glory. Jesus doesn't set you free from your past so you can just wander about life aimlessly, but he sets you free from your past so you can be, part, you can be given, as Paul says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God, we've been set free, and now we're given that ministry of reconciliation to go and share that good news with other people. See, some of the best Christians I know have at times been some of the worst sinners about God. Last night, as Jamie mentioned, we had the huddle up group, the first of the the groups, and Jamie was mentioning how he was going around to all the different tables and, you know, overhearing the conversations as part of the icebreakers, we were sharing testimony or a little bit about our, our past. And as he walked around to all the tables, he kept hearing over and over again, people talking about, and then I met Jesus, but God, things were this way. And then I met him and things were this way. And now I'm committed to pursuing him. See, if we're going to be restored If we're going to be used of God, we need to be honest about our spiritual condition. You don't need to be honest with your neighbor. You need to be honest with yourself. I want the Lord right now. Because a lot of you are sitting here and you, I'm fine. My faith is fine. Everything's good. How'd you walk with Jesus? It's good. Can always be better, right? Anybody in this room that walked with Jesus couldn't possibly be better? No. We can always go deeper. We can always pursue him more. 
I said in the first service, people, I love when people say to me, well, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. I don't know. There's that scripture that says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I don't think you have to go to the Greek for that. I'm pretty sure that that's what that says. But we know we can't be perfect, so what does that mean? That's the goal. Christ is perfect. Our goal is to be more like Christ. So together we pursue perfection, and God empowers us, and we see glimpses of it. When we surrender to him, no, we're not going to attain it this side of eternity, but that's the goal. We don't give up. We don't walk away. We walk with him. But we need to be ready to admit that our relationship with Christ isn't where it should be. And then we allow Christ and his church to bring us to the point where we need to be. That's why we're here. So John 21 and verse 1 starts, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Because how many people know that when things don't look like we think they should look, that our tendency is to go back to our old stomping ground, right? Well, I'm going to go to do what I know how to do. I'm going to go back to what's comfortable. I'm going to go back to what's easy. And so Peter does what Peter does. He fishes. And it seems like Peter fishes like many of you guys do because it says they went out and got into the boat and they caught nothing. I know that's how Dylan fishes. I don't know where Dylan is, but that's how he fishes. And in verse 5 it says, He called to them and said, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord, and I love this part. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I want to stop there and I want to point out something. That's the kind of relationship Peter had with Jesus. See, even though Peter had messed up, even though Peter had denied him, even though Peter could have expected a rebuke, Peter loved Jesus Peter was so happy to see him. Peter was so eager just to be in his presence because that's how Peter knew Jesus. Because Peter knew however Jesus dealt with him was going to be the right way to deal with him. Do we have that relationship with Jesus? When we're facing what might be a rebuke for our past, do we run and hide? Or are we just eager to be in his presence because we know that's where restoration, that's where empowerment, that's where forgiveness, that's where grace and mercy live? See, notice the similarities here between Peter's first calling to follow Jesus and this account. Both occurred in the Sea of Galilee. Both times Peter couldn't catch a thing. Both times Jesus told him to throw his nets into the water. Both times there's a miraculous catch. See, sometimes when you fall, it's good to go back to where it all started. Sometimes God takes us there, right? He brings us right back to the same situation or to the same place, and he goes, what about now? Peter got a second shot. God gives us second and third and 300th chances. So they're sitting by the fire, and Jesus begins the conversation with Peter. And Peter must have expected it when Jesus was like, hey, Peter, come here, have a seat right here by the fire. Peter must have been like, oh, man, 
Here we go. I know, Jesus. But see, Peter, Jesus knows Peter. Jesus knows Peter's heart. Jesus knows Peter's already broken, already feels bad. So where Peter is expecting a rebuke, he's met with love and grace. Verse 15 says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, Jesus knew he was going to depart. He, he's, he knows the ministry has to continue. He knows he's going to use Peter. And he wants to instill with him four key practices to help him serve the Lord more effectively. Give your own life, feed his lambs, tend his sheep, and feed his sheep. See, there's a lot here in, the, in this exchange. Just like in the exchange of the rich young ruler, there's a lot of things we miss. There's a lot of depth there, and Jesus is very intentional about the way he interacts. In verse 15, when we read, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Jesus is standing, he's looking at him, he's going, all right, Peter. See everybody around me? He's referencing Peter's claim. He's reminding Peter back to remember Peter. Now what do you think, Peter? Look around. You still love me more than every one of these? He's giving Peter a gut check. Peter, Peter had made a mistake and learned through humility. Maybe his faith wasn't as strong as he thought it was. See, Peter was sure he would never do what he did. If you would ask Peter, Peter, are you going to deny Jesus? What do you think about that? No way. Because that's what we do, right? Especially when it's somebody else's sin. We look and we go, can you believe that? I would have never done that. Oh, really? Oh, really? I would have never. I, I could never imagine, but you don't know. That's why scripture says be vigilant, be on guard. David never thought he would commit adultery. Solomon never thought he would be caught up in idolatry. And Peter never thought he would deny Jesus, but they did. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if you're strong, be careful not to fall. Peter was honest about his spiritual condition because the church isn't a pretty place with people dressed up with their best church faces it's a place filled with messy, hurting people because life is messy and it hurts. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And Jesus meets us in the hurt and says, come to me, all you who are weary, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's where he meets us. See, one of the things to point out is that Jesus is using the agape form of the word love. I don't want to get too much into this, but I just want to point it out. 
So in other words, whenever that exchange is taking place, what's missed is Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me more than anything in the world? Do you love me unconditionally, Peter? Am I first in your life? And what Peter's going is, yeah, you're like one of my best friends, Jesus. That's what's happening. And Peter knows. And Jesus is like, Peter, are we going to be honest here? Three times Jesus asks, and three times Jesus ans- uh, Peter answers. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is, Peter, would you honestly line your words up with your walk? Would you honestly assess where you really are so I can meet you here? We, you can be honest, and then we could move forward. Verse 15, he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. She said, Okay, if you love me then... It's really an extrapolation of the greatest commandment. Love God with every fiber of your being, and as a result, love your neighbor. Jesus is going, okay, Peter, you're saying you love me. Now show me. If you really love me, Peter, here's what it looks like. Feed my lambs. Peter, as Jesus is saying, I'm going to be leaving to go with my father. I'm going to be using you in a specific way for my church. And in order for you to serve me effectively, you must feed my lambs. The Greek word here for feed is bosco. It means to fodder, to keep. So one of Peter's responsibility is to nourish the lambs. Lambs are infant sheep. The representation here is young Christians. Protect them. Keep them from evil, the evils of the world. That means that newer Christians are not simply the responsibility of the pastoral staff or the leaders. That means new Christians are all of our responsibilities. That means you are to care for people who are new to, you know, evangelicals, we have this thing, and we can't wait to get everybody to say salvation prayer, right? Rightly so. Put your trust and faith in Jesus. And then people do, and we leave them alone. And then a year, two years go by, and they're fumbling, and they don't know what they're doing, and they're walking. We just look and go, they must not love Jesus. Yeah, or they were never discipled by mature believers who are too interested in their own pursuits. Maybe that's it. See, the fact is that Jesus is going, all right, if you love me, here's the work that we're all called to do together. Not just your work, Peter, all of our work. Take care of the infant sheep, the young Christians. Provide spiritual nourishment through the sincere milk of the word of God. Help those who are young in Christ to grow spiritually. And of course, we can't do that unless we ourselves are nourished in his word. Too many churches neglect young believers. In verse 16, he says, tend to sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said, tend my sheep. Jesus wants to remember to tend his sheep. In order for you to serve me effectively, tend my sheep. The Greek word here is poimino, which means to feed or to shepherd, to be a supervisor, to, to protect, to pastor, to lead. This is sheep who are older, more mature Christians. And Jesus is saying, your responsibility is that, that they would continue, that they would continue to grow and mature. That's what he's saying. Feed them, walk with them, shepherd them, pastor them. He's responsible for helping mature believers in their spiritual growth by feeding them the word of God. Because none of us arrive, none of us get to the point where that's it, I'm done. 
We continue. And then in verse 17, it says, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And scripture says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, Peter was grieved when Jesus asked him the third time. He was cut to the heart because the question reminded him of the three times he denied Jesus. But in that, in that honest reflection of his denial of Christ, he was reminded once again of the opportunity to recommit. Doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Doesn't matter what last week looked like. Doesn't matter what your last 50 years of your walk looked like. It doesn't matter. Today, what are you going to do today? How are you going to leave this place right now? See, Jesus wants to emphasize one last key in serving him. The most important task of all, some would say. Feed my sheep. The Greek word here for feed, again, it's the word bosco, but when it's used in reference to lambs, it means to fodder or to keep. That was the first use of the word. Now, when applied to adult sheep, it means to graze. It means to take them out. To allow them to be salt and light. To allow them to impact the world for the kingdom. Not only was Peter supposed to help the sheep in their spiritual growth, but he was responsible for seeing that they left the barn once in a while to graze. See, our goal is spiritual reproduction, to multiply the number of souls in the kingdom, to be in the world, not of the world. And Jesus is saying the most important part, CFC, the most important part for each of us is that we live lives kingdom-minded, that we are salt and light, that we evangelize, that we reach out to the lost. Three times Peter had failed, and three times he's restored in full view of others. And it often involves going back to where we started, meeting Jesus to where he first called us. It often involves being willing to walk away from what we used to do, to walk away from what we know, to walk away from what's comfortable, and to walk into something new. It involved love and humility and obedience. Despite the past, just follow. Don't worry about tomorrow, just follow. And then verse 18 continues with Jesus telling Peter that his life is no longer his. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. The worship team can come up. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Jesus is going, okay, Peter, we've gone through an honest assessment of where you are. You understand what I've called you to do. And I'm going to tell you now that I'm going to ask you to do some things that you're not going to want to do, Peter. But I implore you to follow me. And so what does Peter do? And he's humanity. In verse 20, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Because that's what we do, right? Okay, Jesus, all right, I get it. But what about this guy? What about his call? What about his walk? What about what we doing in his life? What about his gifting? What about his blessing? Jesus going, Peter, Peter, Peter. 
If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, we get distracted by yesterday. We get distracted by tomorrow. We get distracted by our neighbor. And Jesus stands in the midst of our situation, promising us peace. And he simply says, follow me. And we have a choice to make. Because I've preached before, you can't kind of follow, right? You're either following or you've stopped following. But you can't kind of follow somebody. And so the question is, will you leave here sorrowful like the rich young ruler or committed to walking with Jesus like Peter? Please stand with me as we close. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your spirit. For this truth, God, your truth that penetrates, that, that speaks deeply to our spirits, your truth, God. I pray that you empower us, that your spirit fill us, fill this place, God, that we don't leave here the same way, that nobody in this room walks away sad, but that we all walk away surrendered. Have your way, Jesus. That's in your name we pray.